Okay, Brian says, uh, diminished scale usage. It's the same scale if you use it over a dominant seventh versus a diminished chord, right? I hear you referred to it as whole half versus half whole half. Does it matter? Uh, it does matter a little bit, but it is all the same notes, Brian. So, Peter, can I use you as my guinea pig here? Because I don't have yes. it working. I, don't, I still don't. I tried to. Can you hear that? Come no. on it. You got to get that right. You got to get it going to that right channel, broski. Oh, my gosh. How do I do this? <laughs> Uh, no, just tell me what to play. I got you, man. We're partners. Okay, so play in your left hand. Play F, A flat, B, and E. F? In my left hand? In your left hand. F, below middle C. F, A flat, B, and E. F, A flat, B, and E. Can you there you that? go. I can hear that. Okay. okay, now play an F whole half diminished scale over that. So, Brian, here's the whole half. It's F, G, A flat, B flat, B, C sharp, D, E, right? And as you notice, if he plays that voicing in the left hand of F, A flat, B, and E, that's an F diminished voicing, and you would use the F whole half. So the whole half diminished scale uh, from the root can be used over a diminished chord. Right? So the whole half diminished scale. So again, if you have, oh, look, he's got the cordy. Oh my gosh. The cat. <laughs> I, didn't to, I didn't want to show off, but you know. Okay, so play. Yeah, so there you go. happening. That's right. So F diminished uh, chord, and then play this, that scale just above it, the F whole half diminished scale above it. Right. Okay, now play that same voicing, but drop a G below it. Yeah, now play that scale starting on G though this time. Same notes, but start on G. Right. So this is how it becomes that F whole half diminished. If you just move it up and start it on G, it becomes a half whole diminished, and it could be used over a G thirteen flat nine as you see here. Same voicing, but if you put yeah. a, a G in the bass instead of an F, now it's a dominant uh, flat nine uh, chord. And you can use the same notes, but you, you you know it's just easier to think about it now as starting on G as a half whole diminished. But it sounds good as you know F diminished or G seven flat nine. And we we've been working on this a lot over in the daily guided practice session. And a few people are like emailing me like, I don't know what it is this time, but it's really clicked. And that's a good feeling, you know, because it's it, as as complicated as it kind of seems at first when you're learning it here. Like yeah. when you kind of lock it in, you realize like, oh, there's only four shapes for each one. <laughs> like that's, and that's all we got to do. Like it's just these three different patterns and we got it, you know? So yeah. Uh, good luck, Brian. And just keep, keep at it because once you understand diminished uh, scale harmony uh, and it kind of becomes second nature, it's really, it gets really, really fun. Yeah. And I would just add that um, the re another way to look at it and kind of reasoning why it is different. Well, it's the same notes. Of course, diatonically, you know, starting at a different place. That's why Adam said start the same scale, but start it on a G instead. But it's the same thing like with learning the modes. So you've got like a C major. Mm. Uh, let me see if I can do this here. Uh, you've got a C major. And if you go to the mode, the, the D minor, D, D Dorian, you might say, well, that's just the same as a C major scale. But when we're thinking about applications for improvising over it, it's very different, like how we even conceptualize and finger that scale yeah. 
because the the important notes scales are never like just sitting in a vacuum by themselves like That's it's right. always intertwined with with the um you know the arpeggios the upper extensions and these kind of things so you even though you're playing the same notes and sometimes like with the diminished we are generally going to finger them the same i think for most of our fingerings Die, when we diatonically shift, we actually have the exact same fingers. But still, we want to be thinking about them like that G. As different than that F, where we're really highlighting that diminished pattern that lies within that. When it's over an F diminished, as opposed to the G, where we're still highlighting the 1, 3, 1, 3, 5, 7, but then flat 9, sharp 11, and treating those as, as alterations as opposed to some diatonic diminished situation. That's right. That's right. Well, I hope that helps, Brian. It's uh, it's very satisfying when we start to get it, especially in all the keys and, and, yeah. and through all of the different dominant chords you can use and all the different diminished chords. But don't get too caught up on it. It's just a sound after all. Right. Exactly. He says, yeah, uh, but it's the same scale, right? Doesn't matter where you start i mean yeah for for learning it and understanding it and fingering it and conceptualizing i think it does matter would, would you agree with that adam yeah 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 i mean okay. it, it is the same notes so that is something you can that makes it maybe easier to understand yeah but understanding how it it is from where it starts and yeah. how to use it against the chords is a, a different kind of thing and these things are like always like you know how we learn them and understand and do the pattern recognition is important because in terms of like, does it matter where you start? When you're improvising, of course, of course, it doesn't matter where you start. But on the other hand, you would never on either one of these go. Or if it was an F diminished, you're not going to improvise like that. It's always choosing different places to start or whatever. But in terms of mm. like understanding this, like I always like to try to learn something from its most basic kind of root position where it starts like, and then you build out from that because the more advanced things like, and, and even like with scales, this is a more advanced scale. So it's like you start with major and minor, then to go through the minor, then you go through the the um, the modes of the major scale, then the modes of the minor. You know, like you build up from a basic place because that gives your ears a chance to understand this, to acclimate, and to really be able to draw on the things that you're going to need to become a great improviser. Mm. All right, we got one here from our friend Joe in H-Town. What do you know about this? I know a little something about this. This is, can you guys <laughs> yeah. talk about times you got fired? If you want to make it useful, you can mention what you learned. Would you like to go first on this, Adam? Oh, by the way, Adam, yeah, you're you fired. Know, uh, oh, geez, this was Joe. <laughs> did you know about let's, this? Let's make this real right now. <laughs> wow. Well, I feel a little bit broadsided, uh, confused. I thought things were going well. Um, no, you know what? Actually, so my, the first like gig that really meant something to me, I got fired from. Uh, and it was with a legendary local saxophonist here, Willie Akins. He hired me when I was like a senior in high school to start playing with him. And, you know, I was good, but I wasn't as committed as I could have been at that time. There were other things that had my interests as, you know, 17 year old boys do. And, uh, I was in his band for like six months and he's like, he called me and, and, and this was a huge lesson. Actually, I was really glad this was the first time I got fired because he was very straightforward. He's like, Hey, listen. I'm going to go with someone else for the rest of, uh, for the, for the Saturday night gigs. And then for, uh, after your 
you're, you know, this month is done, then we're going to go somewhere else. And he's like, and here's why, here's what you need to work on. Like he was very specific about like, you need to get your copying together here. You don't understand these tunes like this. Uh, you are faking the funk on some of the Latin stuff, whatever. Well, I forget exactly what he said, but I remember he like really took some time and gave me some really good feedback. And I started working on all that stuff that he was telling me about. And then about a year later, he heard me, um, playing out somewhere with someone else and he hired me back. And I was in his band then for like two years and had a great time and got to play with some amazing musicians, great stuff, you know, uh, that I, that I did while I was with him. And it was a great lesson of not only how to, how to get fired and how to like overcome that feeling. Cause it, even as great as he was with it, it still felt terrible. You know, you feel like such, yeah. you don't feel great about it, but right. I worked hard at what he suggested. I had tons of respect for the way he did it and his opinion on, on, you know, what he wanted. And I, uh, I learned a lot from that. Actually, it was a great experience that, which sounds yeah. weird about being fired, but it really was, it was very, very good experience for me. Well, I think that, yeah, I mean the, the getting fired and what you can learn from it and how you can grow from it, it really takes, you know, I mean, look, as musicians, we get teased for being sensitive, but we are, you know, I mean, this is like to be an artist, you have to be kind of in touch with your emotions and, and being able to display them and doing a lot of things that in, in our culture, now would be considered sensitive so it's painful it's not like it, it you know there's no way to not get wrapped up in our so-called job because we love music you know you're a musician you're trying to play music you love it and so if you get fired it's not like getting fired from a job where it's like ah you know maybe you don't feel great about it but you're like whatever i didn't really like that anyway you, you, your identity is not so wrapped up around it but when your identity yeah. and, and and it's your passion it's very hard not to be hurt by that and so um i i think that it's sort of like the scales thing like what you learn from it and looking back like now you're all positive about it but but you took that but that took a little bit of time adam to get a positive attitude about getting fired you know that's just the sort of nature of it but yeah it um, never feels great but it can be yeah. a great experience yeah but you're going to generally you know glean that benefit from the firing years later you know mm -hmm. and for a lifetime though but it can be such a like character building situation. And then it also, I always look at that as like a great test because we are so wrapped up in our identity with this passion that we have as musicians that if you get fired, like, can you persevere? Can you mm -hmm. say, you know what? I, I believe that my passion and my talent and, and mainly my passion and my commitment to doing this is bigger than anything external, you know, like mm. the internal drive that I have to do this is what matters. And so there's nothing like getting fired, especially by a great musician. You get fired by a, like some crappy club or something. That's a, it's a lot easier to justify, you know. But yeah. I would say for anybody that gets fired too, what you meant, what Adam mentioned about Willie Akins giving him specific things to work on, that's a good sign. Because that means he cares. That means he saw promise in you. And he is a great, was a great musician and a great teacher. So that's yep. somebody that I would be very, it would be very disheartening to get fired by Willie Aiken and he just say, you're fired and and nothing and no, no chance. It's almost like he doesn't believe there's any chance for redemption for you. And so I think that for people that are, they get fired and look, it's going to happen to everybody. It's ha it has happened to everybody and it will happen to you. So if it's from somebody that's great, um, you have to find the silver line. You have to find the learning. Like the later on learning will come. The growth mm -hmm. and development that you get from it, that's hard because you can't hold on to that for a while. But 
if they're saying something. And sometimes you have to ask them. Like not everybody's going to be as giving as Willie Akins was and just sort of tell you. So even if you're young, like if you get fired, you should always ask, you know, never be so angry. I mean, I don't know. You could be angry if it's like not your fault or you feel like they don't know what they're talking about. But if you respect the person and you can get over your anger about the situation or your hurt or your pain, ask why, you know. And actually lately I've been I've been in a situation where I had to fire somebody and I can say that that's like that's harder in a lot of ways than being fired. But I tried to like really think about the times when I was fired and, and released from different situations or not asked back. I mean, they're all just different forms of being fired. But um, and thought about this very thing of like telling the person exactly the areas. But it's always gonna be up to them if they want to take that for growth or if they just want to say, oh, whatever. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But yeah, I, I feel think like the key to the key to that is is what our friend Jill and Davino would say, which is clear as cli- clear as kind. First exactly. Of all. And exactly. then, you know, you know, you don't you, it might be a situation where telling them like and here's why is a little not on point. But if you honestly do think that they have potential as a person and, and in their endeavors with what they're doing. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's perfectly acceptable to be like, I'm, I hate to have to do this. And here's why I'm doing it. And I, I, yep. I want you to, you know, if you could take whatever you want out of that, but this is, these are the reasons for me. Yeah. And then, you know, always, it, it, this kind of depends on the timing of it, but I found f- for me several times when one door closed, I was able to either the other door was sitting right there. Or I was able to kind of look for it. It sort of mm-hmm. pushed me into the, the thing that I should be doing anyway, you mm-hmm. know? So that's, a, that's really more into the category. I think of that you know, blessing in disguise kind of thing. So even if you feel like established and you're like, wow, okay, this, this, this band or this gig, they're firing me or, or releasing me, or it's not happening anymore. I don't know. This maybe is even more in the category of like something just ending, you know, that's the other thing. It's not always just like you're getting fired. There's a lot of, you know, gradients in between there's, there's, I mean, I I played in a band for a while and they were like, the band leader was like, Oh, I'm, we're, I'm going to end the band. And they didn't really say like, but I'm going to hire a whole nother band. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's not really ending the band. That's just firing the rhythm section, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's like a nice way. It's kind of like, you know, well, you're fired, but don't worry. If, if you want a recommendation, I, we won't say you're fired. We'll just kind of leave it nebulous and up in the air. Like um, we but this, unquote, the thing is ending. ended the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The band, yeah, whatever over. this oh, is. Oh, now we have a new band that has the same name. <laughs> yeah, whatever this is, is gone. <laughs> yeah, this. That happens sometimes. Uh, Huh? Uh, that happens. Hey, CJ Green has a question up here, which I'm so happy to do this because I can't play. And I can, down or I can, up from what we just did? Just down from what we just did. How do you learn CJ. to play what you're thinking? Lowercase CJ Green there. Okay. I'm looking. I'm looking. How do you learn to play what you're thinking? So it's funny you asked this, CJ, because we just did uh, on the down in the daily guided practice session, which by the way, I talk about a lot here. If you're an open studio member or, uh, you want to be an open studio member, we do practice every day live on zoom. And then that goes to an app, uh, that you can practice with us. They're all guided practice sessions. They're like little workouts, uh, for, for piano. So CJ says, how do you learn to play what you're thinking? And we have a whole thing that we've been kind of working on over there for just this thing. I call it clearing the path, right? So we have this music, ideally we have music in our head, right? And so we want to clear a path that's from the music within us, within our heads, within our hearts, however you want to say it, 
out to our instrument, but ultimately really to our audience. So the instrument is just a conduit to this. I mean, it is an important part of it, but all of the the machine is us and the instrument together, right? And it's the music that is in our head is the most important thing. How do we get it out with the least resistance possible? So facility on the instrument definitely helps. That's a, that's a huge help. And so some technical work and technical practice is necessary for sure to help get the sound that's in your head out. Some listening definitely helps, like getting a lot of sounds and being discerning about what it is you want to say. But when we have music in our head, again, what's the best way to do it? I think there's actually a way to practice this. Peter, can you hear me now still? Yes. Okay. I can't hear work on it. We're gonna we're gonna work we're gonna work this on Peter a little bit. So great. So Peter, can you play just two octaves of B major scale, please? Two octaves of B major scale? Please. However, whatever tempo you want. Okay, so we've you've heard that and you've heard yourself play that. I want you to do it again, but okay, you have a road sound there. I want you to imagine now the most perfect version of that scale being played, where everything is the exact same duration, the same volume, your hands are hitting at the perfect amount of time. And you might even consider like, what would it sound like if if my, one of my idols or someone whose sound I really love, like Herbie Hancock, you know, especially if you're a beginner, this is very helpful. Like, what would it sound like if Herbie Hancock perfectly played this? So give it a shot, thinking of that sound as, before you play. Crucial, Peter, yes. don't try to make that happen. Just try to hear it. Oh. That's the that's the exercise. Hear it as so I'm hear, playing? Or hear before? it just, just as you're playing. So as you're okay. playing, try to hear what that would sound like. Okay. <laughs> it's a little that but the feel of that was so much different than the first time and the the act of trying to hear it right in a in a pristine way and then just letting go of the results which you did perfectly by the way letting go Thank of you. what Thank happened you very much. but using that muscle of trying to hear something now i always use a really simple technical exercise like this to start because this is actually a great way to practice what improvisers have to do all the time, which is you're hearing a sound in you. It's usually from one of your heroes, like or influenced by one of your heroes, and you're right. trying to get it out to the instrument. And that's something that you can practice even with these major scales, or we use chromatic scales sometimes, really things that you don't have to think a lot about technically. You can do this with different dynamic levels. You can do this with different articulations. But the idea is you're trying to hear the sound, your ideal sound at your instrument, today what does that sound like and what does it sound like when it's perfect mm. and then let go of the results don't try to do that just try to hear it because that's that is the the game so there's two things that usually happen cj when you do this one usually play as peter just demonstrated uh, even though he had a couple of wrong notes there the feel of it was so incredible that second one when he was hearing the sound you usually have this amazing connection to what you're playing and a b major scale can become the most musical situation in your whole day it's amazing but then also because you're you're letting go of the effort right because you're letting go of the results there's there's zero effort involved you're not clenching like usually when you try to play a perfect major scale you clench your jaw right and you really give it a go and you yeah. play the crappiest major scale that you will ever hear in your life right but if you can just hear it in in the way that is in you and let go of that i find that not only is it uh, a much better sounding situation but it's a lot easier oh man
That's some gold. That's some gold nuggets right there. I hope y'all heard that. This guy. This guy, right? Where where is he? Where is he? He's right here. He's right there. Hey. Hey, hey. That's great stuff. I mean, that's look, that's that's very much in the spirit of you'll hear it and why we titled this and why we use that phrase and why in in jazz music it's such a cornerstone of you know our attitude about how we approach um telling our story through our instrument and the things that then go into practice the ways that we practice the methodology that we use i mean it's very much based around this so it's like a fun little thing that we say you'll hear it oh don't worry you'll hear it but really it's like i i I think we we try to practice and listen to music and talk about music and just be a community of aspiring artists based upon this being being the goal that you can say to each other Oh, don't worry. You'll hear it because that's such a great and freeing thing. And even like what I just did with mistakes with warts and all, it's like, that's the whole point of you'll hear it. That's what, that's what, you know, failing at different things when you practice and, but still going for that same goal. That's what it's about. Like we're going for a a really big mountain here. We're we're trying to do Mount Everest, Mount Mitchell, Mount Mm. Kilimanjaro. We're not going for the little crappy hill in Forest Park. We already know how to do that. You know, so when, once you're going for something, you're, you're going to stumble. You're going to do, you know, ironic that it would be on a major scale for me, but that's okay. You know, we all got work no, no, to no, do. No. <laughs> I'm glad it happened though, because that that is is part of that process of letting go of what happens, right? Because I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what's not going to happen. You're not going to be on a concert, and you're going to com- be able to completely let go of what happens. We always kind yeah. of really cling to caring about how we sound. Uh, but we're always working to really get out of the way of that. And that's all BS. And really what is important is what we're hearing in the moment with the people that were around, with the other musicians on stage, with the audience that we're trying to connect with. So I think that act, right, of really trying to let go of what actually happens. Someone mentioned Kenny Warner. Here we are. Kenny Warner has a little bit of a take on this, too, of of uh, he is an exercise where you just put your hand on the piano and you immediately say, this is the most beautiful sound I ever heard. Kind of a similar situation. But what I like about the hearing the sound first is you can have a little more control, right? Because you can actually say like, okay, what would it sound like if Keith Jarrett played this scale right now? To me, that is a very specific sound, you know? And yeah. I might never never get close to it, but I think it's good for me to flex that muscle of yep. what is it? What what? And it's also good to just think about like, what is it that I want to play? Like, how do I want this major scale to sound as opposed to just throwing your right. fingers at it and praying and hoping for the best, you know, to actually have uh, a point of view is an important development as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, one way we can think about this is, is um, like you say, flex, flexing and flexing that muscle. Uh, we can think about it as activating our musical imagination. You know, this is, this is very much an exercise for doing that. So, imagination we're always thinking of it being of making things up but if you imagine something it can very much be like this where you're imagining keith jarrett's sound and that's based upon maybe a memory you have of seeing him live or more Mm. likely um listening to a recording over and over again but then there's also how your imagination wraps all those experiences up it's really about like how he looks when he plays the, the great memories you've had of complete performances and like there's a number of things that go into that it's because you've never actually heard Keith Jarrett or Herbie Hancock play a major major scale on its own probably like this so you're we're able to imagine something that somebody that we know does you know 
Like if, you know, if Adam's like, I wonder what Peter Peter's chocolate chip cookies would taste like if you were to cook some. I've never done it. I have eaten a lot of them, but I haven't done it. But you knowing me could probably figure out some things about how it might be. And this is a great thing, like not only for the specific exercise, but for activating the exact kinds of our musical imagination that we need to be great improvisers, you know, because that's just a muscle you have to work on. And, and all the all the theory and all the technique, the imagination and able to be able to craft a story is, is just, if not more important. I like it that uh, Nick says, jaw is not all that gets clenched. <laughs> when, sometimes when you're trying really hard, it's not just the jaw we clench. That's true, Nick. That's true. That's right. That's right.